Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. Um, a special prayer today for two groups of people. Number one, of all you parents that are walking this last step with your students that are graduating from high school um, over this weekend. And as you finish that season, um, I know that's, that's filled with a lot of emotion, um, both good and bad and excitement and sadness and all these kinds of things. Um, and so prayers with you. Uh, we bring that with us today. Also for all you teachers out there, as you finish this home stretch, it is close. The, the end is near. So we talk about perseverance. That's you guys. Hang on to that this week. Uh, but special prayers for you guys. So we're going to be rounding. Um, we're, we're nearing the, the end of our time of teaching in James. And so we're going to be going into James 5, 1 through 11 today. Um, but before we jump into the passage, there's three questions that God impressed upon my heart that I think he wants to bring to you that we're going to wrestle with this morning. And I'm going to keep coming back to these as we walk through this passage. So number one, do you believe the Lord is full of compassion and mercy? I'm gonna say that again. Do you believe that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy? In light of the circumstances, in light of what you know, I know we hear that with head knowledge, but in our hearts, do you believe that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy? Number two, do you believe God desires to make you more like him? Through all things, do you believe that his desire is to make you more like him? And lastly, what is holding you from living a life of compassion and mercy? What is holding you from living a life of compassion and mercy. So through my work, I get to go to some pretty cool places. Um, and so last week, I was in a place called Abaco Island. So Abaco Island is on the northeast part of the Bahamas. So put a picture up there. And in there, I met my friend, uh, Pastor Robin Weatherford, and so Pastor Robin, I'm going to give you a little bit of, of talk with him. He's my Hawaiian shirt friend wearing pastor. Uh, that he is an Englishman by trade. His family actually descended upon the Revolutionary War. You know, the, the Americans won. And then there was these British loyalists that they fled the Bahamas. That was his family. So he's this British man living on the Bahamian Islands that has served the Haitian congregation for the last 35 years, okay? Now, he is 68 years old. His knees are about three times the size of what they're supposed to be because in the Bahamas, when you do ministry, you go out in a boat a lot of times and you're riding on the waves like this as you go from island to island to go do ministry. And because of that, his knees have such bad arthritis that they are massive. Pastor Robin is also married and he has two children that have a rare disease that causes them to lose their ability to control their muscles. And by the time they're 40, they're, they're no longer with them. And so he has buried one child and his other child is 38 and slipping fast. He's had a ministry that 
He's done for 35 years, and right now it is in peril. Uh, because go to the next slide. For those that don't know, Abaco was in the northern part of the Bahamas, and there was a hurricane in 2019 called Hurricane Dorian. For most of us, again, we know tornadoes, we don't know hurricanes. But this hurricane swept through the Caribbean, and it hit Abaco at a Category 5. For 52 straight hours, they had a 180 to 220 mile per hour wind pounding the island. So much so that three 25 foot waves came up over the island and the whole island at its highest peak is 14 meters. Okay, so picture a 25 foot wave came over the island and washed over the island. Go to that next picture. This was a place called the mud. So there's, in, in, in this island, and where Robin's church is, is just to the south of this, right off this picture, this is called the mud. And this is where Haitian immigrants that come to the island, this is where they have settled. So a lot like what we see with some of the immigrant populations that come to the United States, Haitians that come there, some are legal, some are illegal, they just basically find a place to squat. And what they squatted in was the mud. And the mud is right along the coast, just to the, the northern, which is the upper side of this picture, would be where the shipping yard is. And when that wave came, what's in shipping yards? Big containers, right? These big containers, the 25-foot wave came, crashed over those containers, threw it into the mud, and the shanty town which is made out of wood and dilapidated homes, those containers rolled right through there and wiped out the entire place. 10,000 people gone, swept out to sea. And we don't even know about it because most of them are illegals that no one knows their name. No one knows their story. The government itself wanted to say there was 1,200 people that died in, that, that died in this, this catastrophe. But those that incinerated bodies said they incinerated over 12,000 bodies after this hurricane in this area. And Robin witnessed that. And people that he had been ministering to and kids that have grown up in his congregation all of a sudden are just gone. He doesn't know where they're at. Next slide. This was the same picture before and after. Again, you can see the standing water sitting there and Robin's church is just to the south of that. And so Robin, go to the next picture, is coming to me and he is broken. His body is physically broken. His spirit is broken. The people he has serving are gone. Do we believe that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy? Do we believe that God desires to make you more like him? What is holding us from living a life of compassion and mercy? The other interesting thing, go to the next slide, is in the Bahamas, that there is really four levels of class in the Bahamas. First off is the American second homeowners. And these are, when I say classes, these are like what the government is designed to go help, how people and services and industry are built to go serve. And the top of that food chain is American second homeowners. Like the world revolves around them. Whatever they need, let's make sure that can happen because we need these wealthy, rich 
homeowners to make sure that they come and keep their investments here. The second tier is the white Bahamians. So these are people that live there, have grown up there, but they have a skin color that is white because they're of English descent. The second is the black Bahamians, and their color is black, and it came usually from the slave culture that was there. There is a class system of that. And between the white Bahamians and black Bahamians, there's some level of disparity, but not great. But between the third and the fourth, there's a massive difference, and that is the Haitian immigrant. So the Haitians, there's 12,000 12 million Haitians in Haiti. There's another 4 million across the world. They basically go find jobs wherever possible because their country is in political dire straits right now. And they got to go find work to send money back home. So they land anywhere they go and they usually end up in places that have a lot of tourists because they need people to do landscaping jobs and to do the manual labor to build the homes and to do the cooking and the cleaning in these homes. So they end up in places like Abaco. The biggest difference though between those classes is not between the whites and the black, it's between the black Bahamians and the black Haitian immigrants. And this is where I'll go back and say, racism is not a problem of skin, it's a problem of the heart. Um, that's another sermon for another day. But I can tell you, that's where the biggest discrepancy is. So I want you to picture this in light of what we're gonna read in the scripture today. American, second homeowners, Haitian immigrants, or black Bahamians of low income, okay? Picture that as we jump into the book of James. Okay, so let's get into the reading here. Open your Bibles with me to James 5.1. Okay, James 5.1, we're gonna go one through 11. Okay, and really this, this passage is broken into two parts. One, which is the first part, is going to be to the wealthy, non-Christian, non-believers, uh, the wealthy landowners, okay? So what did I just talk about? Second homeowners, white, wealthy. Think of that. But I want us to think when we're thinking about this is it's not necessarily addressing Christians, followers of Christ. Now, for you out here in the crowd, I will tell you, if you are getting convicted by reading this, take a look at your heart. But I will say, this wasn't meant to go and hit on Christians in the head. Okay? This was meant to go to a non-following, non-Jesus, uh, non-disciples, wealthy landowners. Okay? So let's, let's jump into this text, and we're going to read 1 through 6. Now listen. So he says, hey, pay attention, you rich people. Again, people that own land. Uh, you can go to that next slide. Next one. Other way. Nope. Other direction. Head down. All right, you'll, you'll pick up. You'll see where I'm going. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Now, weep and wail means that there is judgment coming. There you go. There is judgment coming. And why is the judgment coming upon them? Well, let's jump into why the judgment is coming upon them. First off, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You hoarded wealth in your last days. Now let's stop there. So James is not condemning wealth for wealth's sake, okay? Wealth is not the enemy. The enemy is what do we do with our wealth? How are we using our wealth to go and bring about God's kingdom? And what he's saying here is that first off is that they have 
Their clothes are going to be eaten. So in, in the old, and, and when this was written, clothing and having possessions was a sign of wealth. So first off, those are going to get eaten. The moths are going to eat them. Second is that the wealth has rotted. The wealth would be the plenty, the food that's being stored. What rots? Well, food is what rots. Things that you can preserve, they're going to rot away. So second off, that food is going to rot. And third is the gold and the silver. This money that you cherish is going to corrode like fire. And not only is it going to corrode like fire, but it's going to actually be a testimony. It's going to testify on that day to judgment. Like, you don't have to even say anything because... All of a sudden, you can just look. Look at your life. Look what you had. You had all these things. You don't have to even say a word. It's all here. You've been hoarding it. And what I want you to think about is he's saying is like, picture the Titanic going down. Okay, so the Titanic is sinking. So instead of actually doing something that's going to save yourself, you're running around and grabbing all the diamonds that the rich people had, grabbing all the, the money that was there, all the nice clothing, and you're trying to carry it with you as you're going down the Titanic because you want to save it. Okay, And so that is going to actually drown you because you're holding on to it, and that's going to testify and be part of your death. That's what James is saying here is like, this is going down and you will be judged, but yet you're still running around hoarding things, going to grab more money, going to collect more things that are just going to rot. Like, don't do that. Second thing he's talking about. So that's number one. Number two, look, look again. The wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are carried out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So second thing is, is that they defrauded their workers. And go back to Deuteronomy where he talks about how to treat your workers. He says, like, workers in the field, you need to pay them on that day because people that, that are in this boat, they need that money to survive. So when I, when I go to Haiti, one of the biggest things is, is that I need to pay them on a daily basis a lot of times because they need that to actually have their daily bread. We don't always understand that as much anymore because we have all this savings and all these things. But back in this time, and what the Lord is saying is that for those that are depending upon this, by you withholding their funds, you are defrauding them. Okay? You are defrauding them. And oh, oh by the way, I hear them. I hear them. It's not that they're silent. I hear them. Go on to the next thing. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. So I, I always picture this. I'm a movie person. Um, and one of my favorite movies growing up was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The old version, Gene Wilder version. Not the new Johnny Depp one. No one wants that one. Well, maybe my daughter does. But no one else besides that. So I always, I picture this as there was a character named Augustus Gloop. Okay, so Augustus Gloop was this child that just loved to eat chocolate. And he just ate and ate and ate and ate and like is all over his mouth. And he had kind of a, even a slur because he was so big. And so he wins the golden ticket and he goes and he meets his demise because he's, he's so self-indulgent that he actually goes to the chocolate river and he's scooping it out so much that he falls into the river and he gets swept up. Uh, into the pipe and he gets stuck in the pipe because he's so fat and he goes away. But, but like picture that where like there's this self-indulgence of the person that just you have enough but yet you can't stop it. You just keep going and going and going. Picture that when he's talking about self-indulgence. And lastly, you have condemned and murdered innocent men and women who were not opposing you. An innocent here who's not opposing you 
what he's saying is that these are the people that cannot fight you. They have no power. They're the powerless. They're the ones that don't have the ability to actually resist you. You have all the power. They have none. And because of your actions, because of the way you have lived, because of the way you have treated them, they actually are physically dying. And the blood is on your hands. It's not on their hands. It's on your hands. Because the wealth is here, but yet you haven't actually paid attention and taken care of the people that were in your fold. Okay? Now remember, this wasn't directed towards Christians, followers of Christ. This was directed towards wealthy, non-Jesus-following landowners. But I will say, church, we fall in this category a lot more than some of the past. The latter, what we're going to talk about, because it is easy in our culture to be on that side of the fence. So the, the point of this isn't to say, hey, again, this was, this was given to, as a warning to those that weren't following Jesus. And why was the warning? Go to the uh, spotlight uh, one. Is what God was saying and what, what James was saying through, through God's words here is he was saying, all the people that are serving and are persevering and are having trials, and you're looking at this and saying, Lord, do you not see what's happening here? God says, look, I see this. Here's a spotlight on this. I see this. But here's the thing. 7 through 11, we're going to go through that. I see this, but here's how I want you to walk through this. So it's kind of like the teacher or the boss or the friend where you've come to it and you're like, I'm so frustrated. And you start ripping off all the things that you're frustrated about. And the person says, hey, listen. I see that too. Know that. I see that. But it's not yours to bear. Don't bear that on your shoulders. Don't take that and, and eat that yourself and take that bitterness down. Judgment's going to come for them. I will take care of this as a teacher for that student that's like, hey, did you know so-and-so's doing this over here? Hey, I'm the teacher. Thank you. I hear it. I see it. At the same time, it's not yours to go and make right. I will make this right. So he's, James is saying here, again, this was, James was written to church Christ followers to the church. So why would he include a passage that's not directed towards them? Well, it's because he's saying, hey, I know what's going on. I see it. I'm, I'm making this public. They will get theirs when theirs is coming. At the same point, Here's what I want you to do. Let's pick up in verse seven. Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord is coming. Be patient, okay? It is not yours to carry. It is not yours to burden. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn, spring, and rains. Now, with the farmer... What does he physically have to do if he's waiting on his crops to produce? He has to go out and work, right? He has to go plant. So he is saying be patient, but be patient in the work that you already are doing. You're in the fields. You've been in the fields. The work is happening. And not only that, it's a valuable crop. So what you do matters. 
Like stay there, be patient, don't get distracted by this. Don't get put off because all these things you're seeing. Stay in your field, stay where you're at. It is valuable because who's gonna bring the rain? Can you bring the rain? Is it your responsibility to bring the rain? No, God brings the rain. You do the work, I will bring the rain. Be patient. Verse eight, you too be patient and stand firm. And stand firm is to strengthen your heart, okay? So not just physically stand, but strengthen your heart, strengthen what needs to be here, the inner voice that's inside of you that sometimes is saying, hey, I'm sitting here and I'm seeing all this happen to other people, but where's mine? Like, where is this for me? And James is saying, please, please stay patient and strengthen your heart. Listen to that. Strengthen your heart because you have done a great work and it will bear fruit, but it's going to be in its time. Don't run away from me. Let me stay with you in your time. Going on to verse 8. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, I first heard that. I'm like, okay, how does this, like, he said patience, and we'll capstone with patience. And then all of a sudden, there's this whole do not grumble part. I'm like, okay, this doesn't fit at first. But then I got to thinking about it. For any one of us that are going through a trial or a season where we feel like, uh, I don't know if anyone's really hearing me, what's the first thing that we start to do? We start to grumble, right? And we don't grumble to God. Who do we grumble to? Anyone that will listen, <laughs> right? Anyone that will listen. And when we listen and we, and we are in that mode, what happens to our witness for those around us? What happens to the unity that is around us? So James knows, okay, there are these rich, wealthy landowners that are squashing you right now that their thumb is on you. And you're like, Lord, do you not see this? Do you not see what they're doing to me? But he says, be patient. You are doing a good work. Stay in the fruit because their judgment's gonna come. And while you're in that, don't turn to each other and start gossiping or bad-mouthing because then who's becoming the judge and the juror? You are. And what's that for a witness in a unity standpoint? It erodes it. It erodes all the good work. I mean, how many of us have listened to someone who's just grumbling and griping and walked away from that? Wow, I really feel better about myself and the relationship that we have with one another. I mean, not, not very rarely. And it doesn't mean that you can't gripe and grumble, but number one is take it to the Lord first. Go to him first. He can, he can take your complaints you don't think that multiple of the saints have done the same things? We're going to read about Job. You know, Job's coming later. You think Job? Read Job. He was not exactly one that was sitting there as an innocent bystander just saying, oh, woe was me. He was, he, was, he was actively going to the Lord and bringing his, his questions, his concerns. But what he didn't do is just go to everyone else that would listen and just spew and spew and spew. Because, brothers and sisters, the judgment is going to come. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who have spoke in the name of the Lord. Okay? So what James is saying is, again, I'm sharing this 
But there's others that have also gone before you. You are not alone in this. You're not the first person that's ever walked through this. Like, I'll share right now, like, parents, maybe this is the first time that your son or daughter is going to be graduating from high school and going to college, and you're struggling right now with that. Find a parent that has gone through it and have a conversation with them. Because what right now is a thing that you can't see beyond, they have gone through. And they can help and guide you and give you wisdom and mentoring if you're struggling with that. And just like this, what James is saying is that you are not the first one to go through this. There are saints all before you. Read Jeremiah. (laughs) Jeremiah was taken by the nose from Israel to Babylon. And he was to serve under a king. But yet through Jeremiah, he was to bless the nations where he was at. Okay, there are prophets that have gone before us. There's people. This isn't, I, again, one of the fallacies that comes through our head and one of the things that might be withholding you when you're saying what's holding me back from living a life of mercy and compassion is you think you're the only one going through this. You think somehow this is unique to you. Like the voice in your head's like, no one else has ever experienced this. No one else has ever gone through this. No one else is, it can't be that anyone else is doing this. Okay, it's a lie. There are prophets, there are people, there are places that have gone through this. Verse 11, as you know, we consider blessed those who persevere. And notice he uses the word blessed, not the word happy. Okay, It doesn't say, as you know, we consider happy those who have persevered. Happy is an emotion. And a lot of times we as believers get too caught up in happy. Blessed, on the other hand, is what is our relationship with God? What is the state of our relationship? Because if you talk about blessed, let's go to Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is the reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. That's blessed. So, Verse 11, as you know, we considered blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought upon him. If you ever want to like read something that makes your mind a little bit like, what is going on here? Read the book of Job. You know, God and Satan have this conversation and all of a sudden they say, well, hey, let's put it on Job and see if he can withstand it. And Job goes through all kinds of I mean, his family dies, his wife dies, his land's gone, his animals die. It's like, oh my gosh. And yet the Lord allowed this to happen. And so again, do we believe that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy? Do you believe God desires to make, more, make you more like him and what is holding you from living a life of compassion and mercy? But in the end, What God did is he worked through Job, and Job could say at the end, blessed is he who comes, blessed is the Lord, for all is his. What was his is now is going to be forever, and God multiplied him, gave him twofold what he had before, gave him more family, a a new wife, all those kind of things. So the people that are reading this know that story of Job. That is part of where they're coming from. So God brought that about. And lastly, the, the thing that we've been dealing with, and this is what stuck out to me, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Go to that last slide. That one, yep. 
So compassion and mercy, let's talk about that a little bit. And this comes from James. So what really is mercy? Mercy is, is James 2, 13b, where it says mercy triumphs over judgment. And what I want to remind us of, church, is that mercy means that all of us were destined for the cross. All of us deserve to be judged. All of us stand guilty inside of a perfect Lord and God. But yet what Christ did is Christ came and he gave us the ability to have mercy so we could stand in front of God, faultless in front of him. He took our judgment. And so mercy is knowing that something is guilty, but yet we are saying we give mercy. And so as we look at this and as we say, do we believe God is mercy? Do we believe that he's working in us and do what's holding us back from mercy is for some of us today, are we living in judgment against ourselves and that we are continually beating ourselves up? That we are our harshest enemies, that we can't accept the mercy that God has actually given us, that there's something inside of us that says, well, I'm sure he did that for everybody else, but he couldn't bear my sins. And you won't actually give yourself the mercy that you deserve. And number two is, are you standing in judgment of everybody else? That you want to play judge and juror for everybody else and how they are doing it. And all you can see is everybody else and what they're doing wrong and how they're doing it and their sins and everything else. And you're forgetting that I have been shown mercy. I have been given mercy. And because of the mercy that I have received, I am to go freely give that mercy to others. The second part of this is compassion. So verses James 1, 27b, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So orphans and widows at that time, you gotta understand the culture of this is a, is a f- familiar culture, meaning it's from family. Because your line, who you married, your kids would all be based upon your family. So if a wife lost a husband, she lost all ties to the wealth, the income, the support. The same with The orphan, the parents have died, they've lost access to all the wealth, the support that was supposed to take care of them. So orphans and widows is is literal sense, but it's also a bigger sense. It's those that need someone to be able to be advocating for them. Those that have no power, those at the lowest side of things, those that the power that was given to them is gone. So picture that pyramid, those at the bottom of the pyramid. Those that basically have, have for whatever reason, and use life circumstances, they don't have access to that power. So as people of compassion, are we aware of that? With our wealth, with our affluence, with our influence, do we actively look for ways we can advocate for those that need our 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 advocacy. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So what we are saying there is that it's not to go, you know, live behind a bunch of closed walls and doors, but it's to keep that flame of faith in your heart. 
that you know that there's a greater purpose and that you're actively seeking God's will within that purpose and you're not allowing power and prestige and wealth to corrupt your heart. The Lord is full of mercy and compassion and he is doing a good work in you and he wants to make you more like him. So I want to I want to go circle back to my friend Pastor Robin because I felt for him. I mean, here's a man that's given 40 plus years of his life to the ministry. He's gone out and he's served diligently and he's sitting at the end of his life and his body is broken. And his knees are gone and his daughters are dying or have died. And the place that he was serving was literally wiped out to see. And so I thought about in light of this passage, what would I say to Pastor Robin? And I would say to him, look, all those rich, wealthy landowners that you see, those second homeowners, those people that have all these just million dollar homes and you barely have a place to scratch out of. The Lord sees it. The Lord sees your work. Judgment will come for them. It's not your job to be judge and juror of them. Don't take that seed of bitterness and put it in your heart. The Lord will come and he will make all things new. And secondly is that to be patient in your suffering because you have been in your field and you have planted seeds. And whether you get to see those seeds on this side of heaven or not, that is, that is not yours to hold. The Lord God is watering those seeds and they will come to fruition when they've been done in his name. Stand firm and be patient, Robin. In your suffering, know that there's, there's saints that have gone before you that have paved the way. And you are paving the way for something that is going to be so much more that might not happen in your lifetime. But you will stand in front of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and, and he's going to judge and he's going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You have done what I've asked. You have done what I've, I've given you. And so friends, I, I want us to circle back to these three questions. Do you believe that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy? And for some of us, we might need to wrestle with this today. Because in your heart, are you really believing that? And I, and I beg of you, there are plenty of places where we can see that the Lord is compassionate and mercy. It doesn't mean happy. It means blessed. Alan, you guys can start coming up. Secondly, do you believe that God is desiring to make you more like him? So in all things that are happening in your life, in all things that are going, whatever you're sitting in now, do you believe that this is passed from the King of Kings who has made heaven and earth, it's passed through his throne, and he has given it to you for such a time as this? That there's something he is working on. There's something that he is creating in you to persevere so he is developing you to be mature and complete so that you would lack nothing. Do you believe this? And lastly, is in light of those two things and in light of mercy and compassion, what is preventing you this week to bring compassion and mercy 
to your relationships, to your conversations, to your workplace, to your family? What is it? Name it. Bring it for the cross. Get rid of it because the Lord wants to make you complete in that. But sometimes we're in the way. We won't even allow compassion and mercy to come because of our own minds, our own thought processes, our own beliefs, our own worries about what's happening. Release that and say, what is standing in the way and how do I release this this week? Because the Lord wants you this week to bring mercy. He wants you to bring compassion. The world needs this right now. I have a teacher in my family, so I, for me, my heart always is with teachers. And I see a lot of them sitting here today. Okay, understand, this week, these kids aren't gonna learn a whole lot. <laughs> They're not. The board is set against you, okay? But what will those kids remember about this week? They'll remember how you loved them. They'll remember about how you made them feel. They'll remember about, were you on their side or not? They remember that you saw them. And they're screwed up. They're messed up right now. They don't know which way is right. Have compassion for them. Have mercy for them. And for those suckers that are just bad, they're going to get their judgment. It's not yours to bear. Don't let that one or two ruin it for the rest of them. It's not yours to bear. Trust in the Lord. For you parents, that today you might be attending a graduation party or you just had your graduation party or your kid just walked across the aisle and got this diploma and you're like, I don't know what tomorrow brings for us. Have compassion. Your child doesn't know either. They might act like they know right now. But they don't. As a 20 now year veteran of, of walking across one of those stages, you have no idea what the world has for you when you walk across that stage. But they need your compassion, they need your mercy. There's probably little parenting you're gonna do at this point. If you haven't done in the last 18 years, the last week's not gonna get it done. It's just not, I'm sorry. So end of the day is how do you love them where they're at? How do you set them on a course that if they're, bucking you right now where you at least keep the bridge open so when they are ready to come back, they'll come back. Don't burn the bridge. This week, I pray that the Lord reveals into you what is it in your heart that's preventing you from showing compassion and mercy. He knows your story. He knows where you're at. Give it to him.